0: All right, let's do it. Hey, this is Marks Rhys Wilson, and you're listening to Into This, my podcast where I talk to people related to the contemporary arts in Montreal. <laughs> As I was just saying that interline, I was thinking that in the past I used to introduce the show saying, You're listening to Into This, the show where I talk to artists, curators, writers, students, and more. <laughs> And the truth is that I haven't really posted a conversation with a student until now. This is episode 22, and my guest today is Nicolas. Sorry, wait, what? Let's try that again. My guest today is Nicolas. Oh, damn. It's not working. What? it? Is... Nicolas. Oh. Right. He is a graffiti artist, and we cannot really reveal his actual name so we'll call him Bosny. You probably have seen his graffiti paintings uh, somewhere in Montreal, and if you haven't, look up. You may see them. He's a student at Concordia University pursuing a BFA in print media, and for a long time, since he was around 12, he has been a graffiti artist as well. I'll tell you more about Bosni in a minute. Uh, before that, I wanted to let you know of some events that are coming up at the art space that we are running, TAP. We are happy to announce that we'll have an exhibition as part of the Nuit Blanche, which is happening Saturday, March 2nd at night in Montreal. The artist showing at TAP is Odessa Dobby. She'll be exhibiting a great interactive installation piece. So if you uh, happen to be out that night, make sure to pass by TAP. I think it's going to be nice. Um, The website to get more information about this and more upcoming events A tap is tapmontreal.com, that is T-A-P-Montreal.com. So, as I was saying before, um, I was very interested in talking to Bosni because, you know, I find this combination of visual arts and graffiti to be really intriguing, to be really interesting, because um, usually you would think of them with a lot of differences, perhaps, and so I wanted to ask him Uh, What are the main similarities, perhaps, or the differences between the subcultures? Because he does the crossover. He he has a practice that overlaps both the graffiti and also the visual arts in prints. So during this conversation, we also talked about his motivations to pursue an arts degree. Because at the beginning, he wasn't really sure that he needed one. So he talks about that, uh, why he decided to pursue one. Uh, And then also very interesting for me was like what kind of aspects he considers when making a piece that will be seen by the general public versus a piece that will be perhaps displayed in a home, in somebody's house, right? So that that was interesting. We also talk about the graffiti culture and why stealing spray paint is a rite of passage. (laughs) So a lot of these topics and, and more in this conversation. So stay until the end, please. This was the last conversation I recorded in my old recording studio, so this one is a very special one for me. Yeah, yeah, it was a special one. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as we did. And if you have a minute, please pass by Apple Podcasts or whatever you listen to this and leave a review. That really helps other people finding the show. Without further ado, this is me talking to Bosni. Enjoy. And, as I was saying before of Mike um I was doing my research, and I'm, i was very surprised of how many things you've done. <laughs> You're pretty young how old are you uh, i'm twenty six yeah, exactly. So you had already been involved in uh running a gallery look, and then you also do a lot of projects with um uh, the graffiti store, what's it called uh sino yeah Lucino. right. And then you also right now you're in art school. Yeah, it's a lot. I don't know where to start, but let's start
1: from uh, <laughs> from the beginning. Where are you from? Um, I'm a Montreal local. Uh-huh. I grew up in NDG. Yeah. Uh, my I like to say I'm half Um My <laughs> father is very very Quebecois right. since forever, yeah. and my mom's uh, an immigrant. So okay, from uh, where? She's a uh, Greek. Okay. So okay. yeah, a bit of bit of both worlds, right? Um, but my last name is Quebecois, so okay, okay. I pass as French Canadian. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But uh, she came here when she was uh, older, or she was
1: really young. And uh, she was eighteen when she moved here. Okay, okay, yeah. So she speaks f- Greek. Like- she speaks Greek. Yeah. Uh, she speaks German. She speaks oh, French wow. and English. She How is- come German? She went to German school.
0: Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. So you go back often to Greece. To see family? Do you have family there?
1: Um, I haven't been in a little while. Uh, I was supposed to help my mother um, pack and ship some things back to Canada, mm-hmm. but uh, time constraints made that not happen. Um, it's been uh, it's been maybe five years now. Since okay. So I've been to Greece. Okay. She lives there? No, no. Oh, she oh, lives okay. here. She, okay, okay, uh, okay, But um, my grandfather passed away. She inherited oh. some things that okay, have okay. no use out there. And right. long story. Right, 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 right.
0: Cool. So you grew up here and then you went to school here as well?
1: Um, I went to school here for the most part. I yeah. studied in Halifax for two years at NASCAD. Uh-huh. Um, but other than that, I've lived and studied here, yeah. And
0: uh, how was Halifax?
1: I mean, w- why do you go there? Because <laughs> um, they would have me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I dropped out of CGEP. Okay. I wanted to be an artist and no one could tell me what that meant. So I figured school was dumb. And then I realized that you need a degree to do a lot of things. right? Um, so that sort of, I sort of shot myself in the foot with that one. Um, and then I wanted to apply to another university where they would only need one year of CGEP to let me in and a portfolio. So I saw that OCAD and NASCAD weren't so far. Applied there. The um, the window of opportunity to apply to OCAD had closed. It was too late in the year. So okay. I applied to Nascat and got in and went there and had never been to Halifax before applying and it was great. Okay, so like the
0: process of saying, I don't want to go to school and then uh, realizing that you actually do need a lot of, or some degrees, I guess, for people to to what? That, that's my mm-hmm. question. Like, how, how do you realize that you actually needed it?
1: I worked in a fancy art gallery. Yeah. And yeah, I would see that no one really cared, but it would be a red flag not to have an art school degree. It's as if it doesn't mean anything to have one; it just means something not to have one.
0: Right, right.
1: So I realized that it would open a lot of doors if I did have
0: one. So all the people who were coming in to work in the gallery and all that—they had degrees and 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 all this—or or how do you realize?
1: No, just working on the artist bios. Oh, okay. CVs yeah. and looking at every artist there having a been to art school and yeah. often MFAs, but definitely always a BFA. Yeah, yeah. So that really made me realize that if I wanted to be a serious artist, whatever that means, I would have to get a degree.
0: Yeah. How old were you when you were working in that gallery? I
1: was nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah. Which gallery was that? Um. I don't want to say. Oh, ah, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> why? Do you end up like in bad terms with them or something? I think everyone who works there ends up on bad terms. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. It's right. not a friendly place.
0: Okay. But it's a place that trains you or something. Why? Why would you like to work there then?
1: I had just gotten rejected okay. from the grocery store that I applied to, <laughs> and they called me with a job offer. Okay, I was nineteen. Okay. I didn't For have sure. endless opportunities, <laughs> and yeah, okay. I, I worked there. It was a, I learned so much. I cool, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I'm so glad I got that experience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was emotionally draining. It was not a pleasant place, right? But sometimes it's the uh, the investment. Yeah. Okay,
0: so you work there when you're 19, and then after is when you decide to go back to school. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you come back to Concordia and you start doing your studies at Concordia. Uh, what do you decide to take on Concordia? Is visual arts, studio arts?
1: Um, I decided to study printmaking. Printmaking. I feel as though I, I, I like drawing a lot. I have a big drawing practice, yeah. and I feel as though drawing in university tends to devalue figurative work Uh and really place the emphasis more on um, gestures and a bit of performativity into it. Okay. And I really enjoy making images and focusing on formal and figurative elements. So I have had a really bad time with many of the drawing classes I've taken.
0: Okay, okay, okay,
1: okay. since CEGEP. So, I feel as though in printmaking, it's a lot more about technicality and process. And I like the fact that if I do the process well, like if I make a good lithograph, it doesn't matter whether I drew a pony or Uh uh, rubbed my penis against the stone. It's really about (laughs) the process a lot of the time. So, I feel more safe to pursue the images I like making. Uh I also like how democratic the Commercial aspect of printmaking is okay. You're trying to sell, let's say, ten hundred dollar prints instead of one thousand dollar painting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that feels a more realistic with my audience, and yeah. b more honest, more fair, more um, more likely to get my work out there. Right, and I I want my work in people's homes, and I want. I make it with that in mind,
0: right? So you do you do have that in mind? Yeah, uh huh. Because you know some people say, um, "I'm gonna make this because I feel the need to do it, and whatever happens with it after, I don't really care." Right. So you do have that in mind that you you want people to um, confront your your drawings or your prints. That is a an important part of the work for you.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I. I feel that a mural needs to be a mural, yeah. and graffiti needs to be graffiti, and a piece in a person's house, it's nice if it's been considered as such in the process. Yeah. I often see people who make a piece, let's say they'll paint a mural, and it's as though the mural was painted for Instagram, and then I think to myself, well, why not just... <laughs> draw it on a computer, right. on a wall, and just post it directly to Instagram? Why go through the trouble of painting it on a wall if you don't care about the people walking by it? So to me, the the sense of who it's for and where it's going is crucial to the art-making process.
0: Right, 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 definitely. So in that sense, let's go back to the prints. Sure. Um, so you say that you consider that somebody is going to be living, say, with the piece. What kind of aspects do you consider on that?
1: I like when a piece unveils new parts of itself to the viewers. So when I'm making a mural or when I'm making something that's going into people's homes, I I like the thought of them one day looking at it differently and seeing a new part of it. Right. That's something that um, pushes me a lot that I really try to achieve. And then there's a lot of pieces, let's say on Instagram, that I'll see at once and I'll Love it in that moment, yeah, and I never need to see it again, right? <laughs> and and that's great, and that's a way of sure enjoying art. But if you're putting it in a home, it needs to, mm-hmm. to an extent, have a longer shelf life. Mm-hmm. It needs to. Um, I think it's harder to have something flashy, something, um, something that's very time specific. Yeah, if I'm making a piece about what happened yesterday in the news it might not be interesting a year from now. Right. So those are the sort of considerations I make. Yeah,
0: that that makes total sense.
1: Okay, so um, Mm -hmm.
0: as we were just quickly brushing on, so you have also your practice on graffiti and on murals. So that goes back, right? Like how how long has
1: it been that? Um, That was before art school and before all this, right? Yeah, I was drawing portraits and I was drawing optical illusions. I drew a lot of optical illusions uh-huh. when I was in elementary school like a lot. I did a lot of impossible shapes which right. are these like the Penrose triangle or uh, the Escher cubes, yeah, yeah, that yeah. type of stuff. Right. I wasn't remedi- reading comics. I was reading about those things. Um so anyhow I was I I was doing art I'd say before the graffiti. Yeah. I was drawing, I was drawing a lot of portraits and self-portraits okay, even okay. before graffiti. Okay. But I mean, yeah, the graffiti has been I think it's been I started when I was twelve, maybe so okay. fourteen years yeah, give or take, started painting walls maybe when I was thirteen or fourteen um, so it's it's been uh it's been a big part of my life definitely
0: for sure. So when you were doing all these drawings and self uh, portraits and and all these things when you were even before doing graffiti, where did that come from? <laughs> I mean like you just said that your dad. Is a scientist? Mm-hmm.
1: Is your mom an artist? No, my mother's a computer programmer. Okay. Um, my parents made an effort to raise my siblings and myself up to be creative and our own people, um, as my mother calls them, real people. <laughs> um, and I think that played a big role. Like, let's say we would go to a restaurant and there'd be the um, paper tablecloths with pictures of dinosaurs or whatever that you color in. We were raised to just take that paper, turn it upside down, and draw our own Uh illustrations on it. Uh I remember when I was in preschool, it was Mother's Day, and all the kids were asked to make a drawing for their mother, and everyone decided that the illustration they needed to make was... A beautiful drawing of how beautiful their mother is right so that they could show their mother how beautiful they think yeah, she is yeah, yeah. and i drew my mother some excellent aliens <laughs> and she has it framed she loves the piece it's still in the house and so i think it's like mom this is what you're to me <laughs> uh, i was just like i knew you like these aliens so i drew you some oh that's cool yeah and so my like my parents are nerds they I was never raised to really care what people thought of me. Awesome, yeah. And at a certain age, I realized that people did care and that I wanted them to like me. And
0: I mean, I, teenager.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. But I think that a lot of the creativity comes from that upbringing of just uh, feeling comfortable and encouraged to create.
0: That is very cool, because usually the story that you hear a lot with artists is like, yeah, I mean, I saw my uncle was an artist, or my mom, or my, my dad, you know. And I think... It's really cool that, without themselves being that, they push you towards you know exploring other stuff, and so, uh, so you do all this, and then how graffiti comes to you? Like, were you going around with friends and stuff, and they were doing it, or just started by by yourself?
1: I started by myself. Right. I when I started graffiti, I didn't really have friends. Okay. I was okay, okay, okay. Uh, from the start of high school to maybe the Third or fourth year of high school, I was mostly solitary. Right. And I'd go on in graffiti forums online and I'd, I started going to the graffiti store at the time, Sub V, yeah. to all their art shows. There was about one a month. Yeah. And I was the little tiny child <laughs> in a corner just <laughs> observing everyone, drinking juice that I would put rum into. <laughs> and a lot of the older guys were not happy to have. Some kid, kid like yeah. where they like because they were trying to be anyway, they're trying to be ridiculous and let loose and have a good time and okay, okay, okay. it's if they feel like there's a child watching them, it makes yeah. them uncomfortable and yeah. understandably so. Right. So but there were a few, like there was let's say the DHS crew and GSM and DA had some guys who were really nice to me as well. Uh-huh. Um so, I don't know any
0: of this. What is this? Is it like stores or? No, it's uh, what, just why are these, uh, groupings acronyms. of graffiti writers. Oh, graffiti so writers. Okay. There's cru- graffiti crews. Okay, okay.
1: And they all have their their letters. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah. I just threw that in for the few people cool, cool. who yeah, would know yeah, those yeah, names. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I I really started all by myself. Then I had my graffiti Myspace account. Yeah, And mm-hmm. this other graffiti writer from my neighborhood sent me a message. We met up. Started a crew, and then we met some other people under a bridge who became our friends, and gradually met more and more other graffiti writers my age because I sort of would meet the older ones at those art shows, yeah, and um, sort of just made my way from there. Yeah. I think my my drawing background made me sort of ahead of some of my friends yeah. artistically, so it it gave me a bit of status which for like a dinky spectacled (laughs) boy was you know very new to me so for sure so yeah that's how I started just um I didn't know anyone I sort of found ways of meeting other graffiti writers and uh I eventually you know today all the friends I have are in one way or another through I mean maybe through school but a lot of my Montreal friends are from graffiti because I I met a lot of people in my neighborhood and then yeah. their friends and yeah. Cool. I'm just going
0: to ask you very basic questions because I really, you know, I'm, I'm curious sure. to, to know. Uh, okay. So when you start, you start just doing the tagging or you started already doing some more
1: complex pieces? Um... So when I was starting, I would talk to this guy, Bruce. Yeah. That's his not his real name, it's his graffiti name right, right. on MSN a lot. And he told me, you know, you you suck, acknowledge that you're terrible. Okay. And just draw a lot. And um when you are good enough, i.e. in three years or so, right. then you should start painting because no one will oh, care okay. that okay. you're doing graffiti when you're terrible. Okay. So just get better and then people will care. Right. So I, I took that to heart, and I was you know, drawing a lot and not going painting for a while. And then when I thought I was good and I was terrible, I started painting. Painting meaning
0: uh, the outline and then you paint inside the, the letters? That's what it is? So
1: painting as in just tagging. So okay. just writing my name with oh, markers or okay, okay, okay. Um, spray cans. Yeah, Markers came first. My first tag I think was with a Sharpie on a leather bus seat. It's not still around. It's now gone. Yeah, And uh, and then, yeah, gradually to spray paint, painting outlines, and then I started filling it in in white and outlining it in black. I would paint these sort of characters around NDG, and then I'd started becoming these bigger characters with more details in black and white. Um, I think at this time I had started going to legal walls and places where it's authorized or at least allowed or uh, people turned the other way. Yeah, um, started painting more intricate things there. Yeah, because I could take the time. But it was—it was all terrible. It was all very, very <laughs> bad. But yeah, I started. I sort of did a lot of everything all at once. Right. And then different phases. Uh, for a while, I was doing just a lot of illegal graffiti. Yeah. My name in big letters, mm-hmm. as visible as it could get, and not really much of other stuff other times is you know i sort of stopped everything but it would occasionally just tag on my way home from places Uh or at other times it's really just the creative stuff sometimes i don't do any graffiti and for a long time i would beat myself up for not doing the other stuff and feeling like i needed to be a certain type of graffiti writer and uh, after a while i figured you know that it's it doesn't matter and whatever i like letting myself do whatever i wanted to do right so on the
0: legality or illegality of things. <laughs> that's part of graffiti, right? I mean, that's part of the culture of graffiti. You were telling me last time they we were talking that some people are so hardcore that they even steal the cans.
1: I mean, I stole my paint for oh, yeah—for a time, yeah. Okay, um, so that's
0: a rite of passage of like, you know, everything has to be legal kind of?
1: Um, stealing of spray paint is a big, it's a... a sort of a a big part of the culture and okay. it just felt like, you know, screw the corporations. Mm. Um mm-hmm. and also spray paint's expensive. Right. So to do a lot of graffiti and pay for all of it is extremely expensive. Right. And not everyone can do that. Especially if you're twelve. <laughs> exactly. And then by having people who steal the spray paint in a way democratizes the process, right. because if only the people who can afford the paint pay for it, then it becomes a matter of who has all that disposable income versus who doesn't, right. and that would be the hierarchy. So it it definitely makes it more accessible in that sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, some people steal all their spray paint, some people pay for all of it, some people pay for all of it by making their money in very illegitimate ways. Of course. There's there's all kinds of different... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people are very wealthy and steal all their paint. So it, there's a bit of everything.
0: Right, right. Okay. I mean, I'm just thinking that, you know, as you said, like, when you start becoming part of a crew, probably, you know, it's a strong bond. But I wonder if it's also the bond uh, making that you're doing something illegal together. <laughs> like, what kind of things are of the graffiti culture for instance other than you know what you just said like which is a little bit of dissent against the system and and, you know subversion of how things work
1: Um, I think there's a a big sense of not necessarily social awkwardness Mm -hmm. but um, a discomfort with different kinds of communities Mm -hmm. where people feel as though they are outside in one way or another I think that leads people to graffiti. There's this um, this academic in Montreal who studies graffiti and I have, I've known him for years, a very long time, Chris Murray, and I remember I must have been 17, 16, and I asked him, you know, why do people do graffiti? You know, yeah. like, you've studied this, you know the answer yeah. he says. I like, how many graffiti writers are there? And that's the amount of different reasons there are. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I can't speak for everyone. Of Some course, people- of course. It's very personal and it's, you know, they're politicized and it's the best way of getting their anti-establishment or anti-capitalist or anti-society message across. Some people are very angry. They've had sometimes difficult lives at home or different traumatic experiences. Yeah. Their girlfriend breaks up with them. Who knows? And they get into it. Some people see their friends doing it and do it themselves. Yeah. They are the least, sometimes least likely people to look politicized in that way because they're wearing, you know, nice clothes and right. are are doing it because it looks cool. Right. So, and some of these people keep doing it. Some of them stop, and it it doesn't. There's all kinds of different people doing it, but yeah. we're all doing something that is illegal.
0: Yeah,
1: and there's a bit of secrecy that needs to go around with that.
0: Mm-hmm. For
1: example, for a long time, my mother didn't know the names of my friends because I would call everyone my friend and I'm going to go hang out with my friend. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. and so it creates a sort of wall between yourself and mm-hmm. people around you, which sometimes further excludes you and um, leads to that antisocial behavior even more. But some people are very open with their parents and their parents are like, oh, I saw your thing on the highway. Very cool. <laughs> so it's very yeah. varied. I don't want to say a universal rule for sure rule. of
0: course of course but everybody has a a name right like an alter ego kind of a thing yeah yeah so you never use your own name of course yeah you never use right, your, right. your own name and um, it,
1: when you when you try to introduce people let's say at a you run into a friend yeah. and you're with one graffiti friend and one non graffiti friend and you try to introduce them and it's it's an old friend you've known them forever and then right. you everyone <laughs> sort of stops because you realize you don't remember their real name <laughs> and their name on Facebook is some made-up pun. Right. So that, and it it's very normal in graffiti to be like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. They're like, that's fine. But it makes your non-graffiti friend really confused how you can say this is a good friend and of you have course. no idea what their name is. Of
0: course. It's embarrassing, but that has happened to me with like people that I know <laughs> for a long time. Anyways, um, okay, so... And, and I'm going to go back to say that these are probably really basic questions, and I'm sorry for this, but, you know, uh, I'm really still hang up on the tagging mm-hmm. of, of graffiti, right? So, basically, tagging is when somebody writes their name on a wall, and there are, I guess, different ways of doing it. So, that would be just your name, just with lines?
1: You had sent me notes about yeah. questions you were thinking of yeah. asking me, and one of them was tagging what's up with that winky face (laughs) and um to me the when i read that i was thinking about just the tags in the street and all the unwanted visual noise and visual pollution that is produced and the scribbles and um you know it's it's a running joke among muralists and graffiti writers that you know there will be people walking by and pointing at a at a tag by one of the people, let's say, who's painting the mural or their friend or whatever. I don't like that. This I like. This is colorful. This is beautiful. This is nice for the city. But I don't like that. And I mean, it's easy for me to make fun of them, but I get where they're coming from as well. They, right. It makes them feel unsafe. It makes them feel um, it, it's foreign to them, and they don't know why it's there, and it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, And... For me my experience is entirely different so it's easy for me to say oh well i don't mind it but when i when i walk in the streets when i go to a new part of town i recognize all the names i right. know who they are yeah. i know how old they are what they look like i know their friends and i get to say oh this guy was with so and so yeah. and uh his girlfriend came out i it's it's a i'm reading the city when i'm doing it right and like when i'll start dating someone or when new people come into my life sometimes they'll hear about my graffiti friends and they get you know they know they start knowing four or five graffiti names and it's as though their their view shifts yeah. and instead of you know it's just a part of the landscape that they try to ignore they're like oh so and so climbed a dangerous thing or uh-huh. this guy uh-huh. like was doing was here and oh i like i turned around and i looked underneath a rock, and there was your friend's name. So it right. it really becomes more of a, a game of I Spy. Personal, thing, and it yeah. it's so for me, it's very exciting. It's very fun to, you know, it changes the landscape in a really um, exciting way. Yeah, but I I I don't feel entitled to get angry or judgmental mm-hmm. with people. Who, you mm-hmm. know, I I get exactly mm-hmm. where they're coming from. Yeah, it's,
0: I mean, if you think of like a property. You yeah. know your garage or something, and then you in the morning you leave, and there's a huge tag, yeah yeah, you understand that people get upset for sure, and I think the personal aspect of it, it just reminded me of, you know, when you go see a show at a gallery or something like that, and you know the artist, your experience is totally different than when yeah. you don't know them. You absolutely know? yeah, so it's kind of like that too. it It, it really shifts your perspective for yeah, sure. That's, that's yeah. a
1: great parallel.
0: It's, it's, it's cute a little bit, but, you know, it's it's fun too. If you had a conversation with that person and you can have an insight
1: or like an, a way in in a different way than everybody else, it's fun, you know? And also you, I mean, that personal aspect means you pretty much automatically like it better or mm-hmm. worse if you dislike the person, but right. it you're invested in it yeah. one way or another. Yeah. And if you bring a friend who doesn't know the artist and you don't explain it to them, you don't explain the personality they will rightfully feel more lost than you, so and again, it's to me it's about bringing that that viewer in. yeah, I
0: I still I only know you and maybe one other person who does graffiti. and to be honest, like I sometimes I can even read <laughs> right, <laughs> but I guess that that's uh, that's because I'm not really used to seeing the tags and all that, right, but I guess it it makes a difference now that you know. I'll be looking out for maybe your name, you know, your graffiti name, and it'll be like, oh cool. You know? It's a different total feeling.
1: To me, tagging is yeah. Right. It's a more script-like right. form of leaving your name. Exactly. So it's not no bubble letters, no. Oh, no bubble letters. Okay. Um, it's really just letters similar to script. Some there's different variants, different there'll be arrows or underlines or what have you. But yeah. it's yeah, similar to script.
0: Okay. And then bubble letters. But that that's not considered a tag.
1: Bubble letters aren't tags. So okay. that's sort of, um, I mean, what it sounds like. Letters that are yeah. uh, made in a way that you can write them quickly. Yeah. Um, so that you can just leave your mark in a, the shortest amount of time while having it be legible and have your name be known. Uh-huh. And then there are block letters, which right. here are often called burners. Uh-huh. And elsewhere, burners means um, a more elaborate piece yeah. so block letters are closer to fonts let's say yeah. in that they are not the most time efficient they are often from arm's length in height to the bottom of the wall so they are often much bigger than bubble letters will be
0: yeah
1: and um require more effort in being made and then after that i'd say there's pieces uh-huh Pieces are more colorful. They're often done places, which are legal or uh, permitted. Because
0: it takes more time.
1: It takes more time. Right. And you also don't necessarily want to spend all your time working on something, spend all the paint, and then have to run and never see that uh-huh. piece again. Uh-huh. Um, uh, am I missing any? I think that's roughly it. Right, There's right. I guess there's panels which is when you're painting in the subway or on a train yeah. or a, a moving metal surface a really boss. and I guess uh freights are panels as can be panels as well I might someone might correct me I'm not sure about that right right yeah and those are usually they're they're done very efficiently but yeah. with colors and um, so you you might see one that's been done in five or ten minutes and it has twelve colors in it. Yeah. So it's it's often planned and people it's a it's a whole subculture almost. Of course. And you regular people don't see them because they get cleaned right away. But there's yeah. a big uh, panel culture worldwide of people painting subways, trains, and um, recording it. That was the other thing,
0: and and I wanted to segue into that. So say. Regular people say, like me, <laughs> that are not involved in the graffiti mm-hmm. culture and all this. Sometimes you put together graffiti with street art with other stuff, you know? And I guess it's very specific which one is which, you know? And so, for instance, a mural,
1: that's considered street art? Um, to some people. To some people. For me, a mural is a legal painting of a wall for decorative Purposes. right? Street art to me is practices which are still illegal, but do not require you to draw directly on the surface. Oh, I see. So, so stencils. Let's say, stencil okay. or stickers or yeah. wheat paste where you paste a piece of paper to a wall. Yeah. Or, um, no, that's it, I think.
0: I mean, there are some other elaborate things. Um, this piece that I have right here, I'm just uh, showing. You the uh some like pieces that are made out of tape. Yeah. There is an artist, his name is Mark Jenkins. Okay. and he's from Washington. And he makes these hyper realistic figures with tape like that. And uh, he puts them in the street, and sometimes they're like very shocking. I don't know. You would see a body kind of like going into a garbage mm. uh, can or something like that. You know yeah, what I've mean? seen those. That, is that that's also street to art? To me, that's yeah? street art because right.
1: he's making it somewhere else and bringing it to the place. Yeah, exactly. Whereas graffiti yeah. is more um, oh, in situ. Is more in situ, right? And oftentimes, let's say, a lot of the arguments there among the graffiti community are, let's say, someone paints an abstract piece on a wall with brushes and um, food and whatever, who cares? Yeah. yeah, They would say that that's not graffiti because it's not based in letters. And when I would see it, I would think that it's street art. But to me, that's a closer description of what graffiti is. Okay. And then also they would say, let's say someone does a tag on a sticker yeah. and would put that up that would then fall under the category of street art. <laughs> right. But they would not like that because yeah. they are based in graffiti. Yeah. So, and I mean, I'm not saying that my perspective is the right one, but
0: that's, oh, that's how what I view it.
1: And then also a lot of people would say that graffiti is not art. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in the graffiti community and outside of it would mm-hmm. disagree about that mm-hmm. correlation because they don't see themselves as artists. They're writing their name and it's, you know they could see it as some kind of counter culture yeah. marketing yeah. or any kind of personal mission yeah so to say that it's art well not necessarily for everyone what do you think um i i think of graffiti as graffiti i i think there's a lot of overlap okay and there's a lot of artistry and creativity that goes into it yeah but sometimes i'll see something and i'll be amazed by it and it's not artistically worth anything, but let's say someone just climbed an impossible building yeah. and then painted something gross on top, I might be like, wow, he he did that legendary spot, you know? Um, so it's it's a different framework. And I think that to try to fit it into the, box it, yeah. the that box would be uh-huh. limiting.
0: Right. I mean, it's, it's the same as saying that, for instance, everything that is painted on a canvas is art. Yeah. Sometimes you see things and you may not consider it art. And that's your perspective, right? Right. Um, And what you're saying about different subcultures or even wider, just stepping out of the graffiti culture and the street art culture, moving more towards the fine arts world and all this, because you are also involved in this world, right? So you are fluctuating between the two of them. Um, What are some of the opinions that you have encountered from that side of the world of art looking towards the graffiti culture. I would guess that is a lot more conservative from point
1: A. The fine art world, I think that they, they wouldn't view graffiti as fine art. Right. And I'm not sure I disagree with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And that gives them a sense of superiority right. oftentimes because they will be analyzing whether things are worthwhile or not through that fine art lens. And yeah. then things that fall outside of it are therefore not worthwhile. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that graffiti has its own language, it has its own norms and codes, and so does the fine art world. Yeah. And they, like, they would not necessarily say that themselves, but I think that they definitely operate based on several Absolutely. Codes.
0: I think that somebody who denies that then probably is not seeing it in a wider perspective, maybe. Very right. Very narrow, yeah.
1: I mean... I don't expect them to mm-hmm. necessarily like or understand or right. be into graffiti as I wouldn't expect them to like or understand or be into tennis. For if sure. If they're into it, yeah. that's great. And we have something to talk about. Yeah. If you're into tennis, don't talk to me about it. I don't know anything. <laughs> but um it doesn't it doesn't irk me or upset me. I mean, if they're closed minded about yeah. it in a way that upsets me, sure, I'll be I won't enjoy that. But uh-huh. I don't blame them or judge them or get angry because it's a its its own entity.
0: I, I, I believe so. I think that oftentimes because of the, you know, the idea that fine artists probably work with a more conceptual way of thinking or even more academic, uh, that idea probably gives you a perspective that maybe... Your work has more value than any other work or whatever. But if you think about it in a way that it's parallel to it, it never really crosses. Like, for instance, if you think of dance and fine arts, you know, you would never say one is better than the other or one is lower or higher than the other. It's two different entities. Right. Right. And I mean, it's just funny and it's just interesting
1: that you are in both. <laughs> I think one of the tricky things about the overlap of graffiti and fine art is that the fine art world, it's very conceptual, it's very intellectual. You need to, there's generally a text that will go along with it or there's a certain understanding necessary to grasp a piece. And I think that there is a place and time for that, right? Because Mm -hmm. if, if I go to a museum, I want to have my thinking pushed, have new ideas brought up and i think that's important and i think graffiti is founded on some very formal elements there's a lot of rules that you create work based off of aesthetically mm-hmm. and you're you're making work for strangers really so what it looks like is what it is to uh-huh. them and so the formal aspects are crucial and central right. in a way that they don't need to be in fine art yeah and there's right now there's a some younger crews called TOTR and 69 Anal, mm-hmm. and some other crews as well have this new mindset where they are deconstructing the formal elements and um, pushing the aesthetics in a more naive way. Right. But they are still working within a formal framework. Yeah. So... I think that's one of the big differences between fine art and graffiti. Is that graffiti is really what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. It, there's there's never going to be a little text next to a graffiti piece <laughs> telling you what you're looking at and when <laughs> the artist was born and his, you know, right. Th- it doesn't make sense. It doesn't yeah. fit. So if you're comparing apples and oranges in that way, of it, course, it's not going to work no. out.
0: Uh huh. That's a difference of culture, but. Um, what I wanted to get into is like, okay, so you are in both things, right? So do you feel like it's kind of like a switch every time you go back and forth or it's just a, a natural thing for you to like go to a gallery show and then later on go at night and paint, for instance, in a wall?
1: Um, It's all sort of social. So right. if I'm hanging out with one friend more who's a fine artist, I yeah. will often hear about an art show that I wouldn't necessarily otherwise. Yeah. And then if I'm hanging out more with my graffiti writers and they're like, oh, well, we should hang out and go painting and yeah. then I'll be more involved. And yeah. so it's sort of um, a push-pull in that sense socially. Yeah. And then in my in my practice, I'd say that often it's the idea comes first and then I'll say, oh, okay, I have this concept. Does this work in a person's living room or does it work on a, in oh, a mural or does right. it work... As a graffiti that people are only going to see once yeah what's the medium that's best fitted for this idea right and then that's how i'll generally choose to make it
0: i mean that sounds pretty cool because then you have a wider array of possibilities for your pieces
1: for your work yeah but it also it means that i have a more divided audience a lot of the sure. time because sure. a lot of people only care about you know the formal aspects of my printmaking, or others will care about my tagging and it's it can be very diverse yeah. and it in so in that sense i feel divided and also my time is divided i'm not fine tuning uh-huh. a specific practice uh-huh. the way my a lot of my friends have yeah. i'm still just in the ocean of possibility and it would be nice to you know have a cleaner look and a more defined branding and all these things but it's not how i work and it's not i can't be something i'm not
0: Right, so you're not really interested in doing that specific polishing
1: wine thing. It's not really. being inter- it's just I that's you not can't. how I work. Yeah, I yeah. if I try to do that I I get angry and upset and throw everything yeah. on the ground.
0: Yeah. So. Um, we haven't really talked about your pieces uh, or your work. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so tell me a little bit what's what's your what's your sensibility like? Um or how do you normally what is your process
1: like? Um Sometimes it starts with the idea and then I create the work. And some For murals, it usually starts with the wall and I work backwards from there. Uh, well, graffiti is divided. Sometimes I have an idea that I bring to the wall and sometimes I go to the wall and I work accordingly. Yeah. Um, when I'm working on a mural, I'll try to maximize the potential of the wall. Yeah. So let's say you have a wall that's visible from very far and very close and everywhere in between a walking type of relationship to its audience, then I will try to have it speak differently from one, two, or three different distances. And usually I'll do this by creating images out of patterns so that from up close you get to look at the details of the pattern from farther away you see the amalgamation of the colors turning into a shape, and then in the middle ground maybe have, you know, something more... um, figurative for people to stand and look at and i try to have it as with my indoor work relate to people in a way that they can continue to look at it regularly instead of seeing it once getting it and moving on right and then when i'm painting graffiti i i mean people will if they're looking at it on instagram or facebook they won't look at it a second time they flip and that's it and it's a single time experience I mean, most graffiti writers don't even acknowledge that their work is primarily being seen through a screen uh-huh. because it's. They talk about the immediacy and you know being in the street and the location, this, and that, but it's it's highly curated at this point. I think, um, unless it's you know the illegal graffiti you see in the street, but I'm talking about the more applied pieces applied right now. Pieces. Um, so with those, it's more about you know pushing an idea, pushing uh, a concept. And usually what I'll do is I'll I'll play with people's expectations, especially graffiti writers' expectations of the medium, yeah. and so I'll make it look like it's a print or make it look like it's digitally produced, or uh, three years ago I made a piece that looked like it was a computer glitch, yeah. and now it's been played out, but at the time people were, you know, oh, I think my phone is broken. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> Or I think your phone is broken, right? So that
0: that piece was made with the intention of you know having it in a screen, yeah, you know, like and, with that all.
1: Uh-huh. And it it was a newer conversation there to talk about the the fact that you're not looking at it at the wall. You're not having the experience you think you are. You like so n'est pas un all over again, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's what I find the most fun for those walls is the this you know it's a single use piece, and then in my indoor practice as a purpose to go into people's homes. It's more, yeah, playing with space, but it can work from different distances and keep them sort of playing with the piece right. in their, you know, as they walk by. or And I'll, I use a lot of patterns. I like to make images out of patterns. I like to create works, which by using patterns to make images, I feel as though, the play and walking to and from a piece activates a space. Yeah. Um, And then works more for gallery spaces, more for exhibitions. I guess they're closer to graffiti for me because I don't expect people to go to an exhibition twice. Mm -hmm. And so I want them to interact. I want them to have that experience. Yeah. But also they will be in the space for a time. So activating the space for them to move and change and see it from different angles is yeah. an opportunity for it to interact with them. So, yeah, it's it's very formal questions I'm asking myself and right. my problem with academia for a long time was that my questions were very formal and they only cared about personal questions yeah. in a lot of classes anyhow and uh, I mean I'm a cisgendered straight white man. Right. If I talk about my personal experience in a sense that isn't just about my pure privilege in that sense is pretty unwelcome and mm. understandably so mm-hmm. but then i said oh well they want to hear about my experience while also not wanting to hear about my experience yeah. and not knowing how to deal with that conundrum and still you know having the urge to produce art so it was very confusing and upsetting yeah and lately i've been i've i've been interested for a long time in you know Toxic masculinity and feminism, and um, sort of how to be a good man. You know, especially after Weinstein and this and that, the other. You know,
0: (laughs) yeah, the Me Too reckoning.
1: Like, Mm -hmm. all men are assholes. To some, Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, Mm -hmm. I'd like like to think I'm not an asshole a lot of the time. And you know, how do I reconcile that? So I've been I've been working on just pieces to explore traditional concepts of masculinity. Yeah. Um
0: from what angle though? From the angle of redefining it or from an angle of putting it to a test?
1: Um so the the like the people who look at my work and are interested in it is mostly other cisgendered straight oh, okay. white men. Okay. And I know that in an academic setting making a work complaining about how terrible it is and look at me i'm wonderful because i understand how terrible this is yeah might fare well but it feels really suspicious when someone says it's like a woman who says i'm not like other women uh-huh. it's just a suspicious thing right. to say right. um right. so it's usually very self derogatory and self-examination driven yeah. yeah i try to you know I've got all these hypocrisies inside of myself and they're hilarious and I'm trying to poke fun at myself first. Poke fun in a way that guys steeped in toxic masculinity will look at and be like, oh, that's funny, and maybe not think about it. And then to me, that's a win if it makes them question some of their own behaviors. For sure. And um, so that's that's sort of the more academic side, I guess, Mm -hmm. because formalism is... uh, only goes so far in those conversations a lot of the time, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very interested in in those conversations. I think, and it's it's been surprisingly welcome. A lot of uh, men who I wasn't expecting have been really receptive. And like, oh, that piece was super funny, and it's um, it feels great because it's those are like I'm not trying to sound woke, right? I mean i i have my moments where i'm full of myself but uh i'm just trying to i mean hopefully make a positive change with the audience that i do have
0: right and that's another topic that usually comes up here that you know art can only go so far with these messages right yeah and that you need to know your audience and be aware of that and so if you can in somehow in some way create a discussion, create a conversation about these things. I mean, why not? I think that's really good, and yeah, I mean, I think that we all right now are in that moment of self-trial. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think it's healthy, sure. even if, if as you say, if you don't want to consider yourself an asshole, but you you stop to think, okay, so maybe I've been an asshole.
1: Absolutely. And when,
0: yeah. when in what situation and to whom, I,
1: and then how can yeah. I?
0: Not Not do it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's healthy. And, you know, these topics are really uh, reactionary, right? Like when you start talking to people about it, like there's a lot of really strong reactions to it from both in every way, you know. And self-discovery is a lot better than somebody else telling you to do it, you know. And so what you said about a piece that makes you feel like it's funny, but then later on you'll start to think about it and say like, why? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, I was like, oh, was, that made me feel and usually when you think that something is funny, it's because you relate to it. Exactly. Somehow, right? Yeah. Yeah. I try yeah. to
1: use humor a lot. I yeah. feel like it's it's the best way of approaching the conversations I care about in that sense and feel in a position to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I also feel as though I mean if I'm making work and you know, let's say I write in bold letters, yeah. feminism and the patriarchy and toxic masculinity. Straight white guys who look at my Instagram will be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, sounds stupid. And I feel like the language often ha- carries different meaning for them yeah. and is off-putting and makes them dislike it, be suspicious. Right. And I mean, if, if asked, absolutely, like, I'm anti-patriarchal and a feminist mm. and I hate toxic masculinity. Right. Um, but I feel that For the work to speak best, I try to just point out scenarios that are problematic and relatable in a humorous way. right? Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, if you try to be super didactic with these things, it starts to be really boring and really
1: heavy. These guys work in construction or mechanic. Like they're not, they didn't go to art school for five years. They're not the same audience as a lot of other yeah, artists you see, have
0: in that in that sense though your audience is a lot wider than mm-hmm. somebody who is going to be painting something more abstract or something else, you know, something that requires even more even more education and even more involvement. So in that sense for sure. I mean, this carries the message probably farther away. But I mean, it, it's also very interesting to me that for instance you, you know, you were probably 19, 20 and doing your schooling in Halifax, and probably doing some graffiti there as well, but then uh, you get involved with uh, Stephanie Cregan and other artists or students. You you guys started the gallery Lock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you're in the graffiti culture, but you say, but I also believe in these type of shows or art showing. How did that happen?
1: Um, I mean, Steph is one of my closest friends and right. so when she and for a long time for yeah, yeah since cjep oh wow it's okay. been a very long time right when she and steven said they wanted to start a art gallery yeah. i said well i have you know at the time i had a lot more experience than them with that yeah. given that they had none they had okay. just finished school so yeah. i said you know I'll, I'll help out but i don't know really the artists in town or all these things but yeah you know i have a lot of technical experience with galleries, so I was able to bring in my two cents. And I really care about the accessibility of art. I really want to have art in the public that random people who haven't read all the books can appreciate. Yeah, And if it's in a museum, then there should be a way for them to access the ideas right. implied in the work. And I don't mean to dumb it down. I don't mean to make work easy and, you know, have idiotic pieces just because it's going to sell. That really upsets me. But I think that there is a duty towards the art's constituents in trying to make work that will speak to them instead of making them feel stupid and small because they haven't read all the books that artists need to spend their entire lives reading to make art. Yeah, right. So you don't...
0: Subscribe to that idea of like super conceptual and super ultra professionalized or intellectualized, ultra intellectualized. I have, I have like,
1: no problem right. with very intellectual work. A right. lot of what I find most interesting is extremely intellectual. Yeah. But those are my brain kinks. Those are my uh-huh. the things that I nerd out on. Right. And if you're gonna try to show that to you know, sometimes there's schools that go there, elementary schools that go into a museum right. and look right. at the work. And that's part of the public. Yeah, I think that their intelligence should be respected. Yeah. And I think that there should be a way of making the work speak to them Yeah, or put it somewhere else, put it somewhere that only the few people who really care about this that's very it. nerdy artwork well, will go. It. I think yeah. that it's not about being an important artist. I think there's a sort of hierarchy that's strange. I think the hierarchy should be in terms of accessibility in terms of who views work. And I think that the very intellectual, specialized work needs to be prized because that is, you know, at the forefront oftentimes of Mm -hmm. what is coming up next in art. I think it's primordial to having a sane, healthy, artistic ecosystem. Right. But yeah, know know who your audience is. Always know who your audience is, I'd say. So all this goes into
0: the work that you guys did in, in Locke? Gallery. At least this is your contribution to
1: it. Um, that was what drew me to it, yeah. Right. And I think that there was no space for young aspiring artists really to showcase yeah. their work. Yeah, um, It felt as though there was a divide between the school spaces, so the FOFA, the VAV, right. university galleries. Yeah. Then there was nothing. And yeah. then first people five years later in their career, all these other... So we were just trying to bridge, and I think we did a pretty good job in yeah. helping several artists bridge from one part of their career to another. Yeah, and I mean, I was very stimulated in working on that, and for sure, um, was a it was a nice project. I was happy to be. No, part of
0: absolutely. It. I mean, it
1: it looked very professional.
0: It looked like you guys were putting a lot of effort and a lot of time and energy in that in that project. And um, my question on that for you would be. Um, After the project uh, ceased to be a gallery, Mm -hmm. what happened to you? I mean, what kind of opportunities arise from it? Or what was the the next step for you guys?
1: Um, So after that, Steph started CK2 with Jessica Kirsch. And um, so the thing about LOCK is that it's an acronym of all of our last names. Yes, And then CK2 is thus an acronym of their last names and the two being the second version of an art gallery right. for them. Yeah. Um, and they did some really exciting work through CK2. I was really happy to see what happened there. And for me, I, I'm really interested in galleries. I think they're very important and powerful tools, and I respect and revere them. Mm-hmm. But I don't see myself becoming right. a curator or yeah. working in a gallery. But, I mean, I've done a lot of work in the graffiti and street art yeah. world in a from a curatorial perspective yes mainly i'd say because i have the experience and i don't think anyone else in that mm-hmm. world has as much experience as i do at this point right and yeah. and i feel as though it would be a shame to pass up on that yeah if it were to be something worse in my absence and and it's thrilling and it's exciting to you know to create deeper conversations for that community to push their thinking further because I think that a lot of what I've gained from art school in terms of pushing my thinking and asking for deeper questions and Mm -hmm. a lot of that intellectual rigor um, is more novel to the graffiti community, which is highly formal. And so to bring that to that world has been a great opportunity and very exciting and I'm happy to do it.
0: That's very funny because it seems as though the graffiti community is more formal and more strict than the art school community, <laughs> you know, in, in the formalism
1: of, of, oh, of I, the painting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, the classes I've had in art school have, it really didn't feel like it mattered what the work looked like. Uh-huh. It felt as though what I said about the work was central Yeah, a lot of the time and i can see where that has come from right and it feels as though because there's a degree of you know who am i to say whether or not this piece looks good i am a subjective professor or subjective peer and my opinion is skewed in that way and i i get that but i've been in classrooms where a student is saying that the work means one thing and it mm-hmm. looks like it means another. Yeah. And it's not always easy and it's not every prof that can challenge that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so right now you're going through art school still. When are you
1: finishing? I have about I have about six classes left. Six classes. So a bit more than a semester.
0: Yeah. And then what's after, you know?
1: Ideally, I'd like to have... A decent amount of income coming through an artistic practice right. of, say, prints and yeah. murals and commissions and things along those lines. Yeah, that is what I'd be aiming for. Right. Um, down the line, it could be exciting to go to grad school. Hmm. Um. And it could not be interesting. I'm unsure still. Yeah. Um. But yeah, those are sort of the the big. Uh, I'd really like to just keep pushing my my practice. That's, yeah. That's what I'm most interested in. That's great. I was recently having a conversation with somebody and we were saying that
0: there are some galleries that you can probably tell um, that they are approaching the market that is more into street art, for instance, Mm -hmm. and there are some galleries on San Laurent that you can see that that's their market. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that they're doing it really well because it seems like there's a thriving community that come to those galleries and they buy the stuff. Yeah. Not only they just go and see what's going on to openings and stuff, but they actually are acquiring those mm-hmm. pieces. Um, is that the kind of market that you are aiming
1: towards? Um, I feel as though a lot of work that I don't believe in sells very well. Yeah. Um, a lot of pop art inspired pieces and I mean, pop art is what, 40 years ago? Yeah. So it's very yeah. outdated. Different. And it's really just drawing on pop culture that is relatable. Yeah. And so wider demographic appeal. And, you know, from a marketing perspective, it makes a lot of sense why it would sell so easily. Because everyone, let's say, recognizes Pinocchio. You put Pinocchio in a painting. The people who can relate to it, yeah. the, it's a much bigger audience than if I have my own practice and my own thinking and... You have to explain the work to everyone who walks in. So, I get the where it's coming from, yeah. but it often feels um, it feels as though it would stop speaking to the owner quickly. I don't see how it would uh-huh. be enriching long term for them, and I don't believe in that type of art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. That's
0: what you were saying before, immediate is a a quick, quick access to it. Mm -hmm. And probably the same way that is quick for you to internalize it is quick to go away.
1: Yeah. And there's some work that they sell that is beautiful. And I wish that people only bought those works. And and I know that the work that I'm hating on sells so well (laughs) and they know it too. And they sometimes need to sell those in order to have artists they care more about. So I'm... I wouldn't I would really not mind being in one of those galleries yeah but I don't want to compromise my practice yes. in trying to make my work too accessible yeah but then at, at the same time I feel as though I have fewer chances with a more art world gallery yeah. for the opposite reason of my work being you know not uh, hoity-toity enough sometimes mm-hmm. so I mm-hmm. feel um, I feel sort of between the two
0: yeah. Again, I feel like those galleries that are more accessible and all that, well, that's the reason why probably they're successful economically, just because it's easier access. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like the fine art world and galleries are too selective maybe in their maybe collectors or people who, you know, they invite to their shows and things like that. And I don't know if that's a mistake, maybe, you know, because if you are prone to be interested by that kind of art, you know, the pop art and all that, maybe you have already like a foot inside, you know, and then maybe it needs to be a little bit more education or something for you to appreciate a little bit more other type of art. But I don't really see that crossover happening. I just feel
1: as though there's, the two sides are in these relatively saturated markets. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only so many people in the art community who want to go to very in- intellectually, like right. these very specific rather yeah. art shows. Yeah, and it's a vibrant community. I love you all to death. Yeah. I don't mean any harm <laughs> by this. And then there's the the mass appeal type of galleries. Yeah, and and. A lot of my friends are sort of in the middle. They mm. they like the art, they care about the arts, but they're not necessarily artists. They don't really know what's happening in those fancy galleries, but yeah. they are not attracted to the all of the art, you know, of Pinocchio and Disney characters and yep. pizza slices and mm-hmm. what have you. Mm-hmm. And I I mean from a purely commercial point of view, it feels as though there's a gap in audience. Yeah. But also from a community perspective, this is a whole, like, it's as if the wider population is just being dismissed. And then all these artists are talking about reaching the masses or speaking to people or trying to make a change and not trying to speak to all, like, untapped potential, maybe.
0: Right, right. That, that's exactly what I mean, that it seems to me like there's some potential there that is not being really addressed. Absolutely. And I don't know, it's, it's, just, it's just funny because, you know, everybody really um, complains about how small the art market is, especially in a city like Montreal. Maybe I'm just not aware of the efforts that people make, but it seems like there's some other things that maybe can be done to maybe draw people in. But again, maybe
1: the selectiveness of it has to be compromised, you know? It is a difficult market. If you wanna live off of your art, it's a difficult career path. And it's no walk in the park yeah. for sure.
0: Yeah. Of course that I
1: guess you consider that going into art school. Yeah. yeah. I mean I, I <laughs> but I mean I like most of the artists that I know, I didn't really have a choice yeah. to an extent. Yeah. I mean all my skills are in the arts and when I do other things, I sort of, I die a bit inside. Right. So if you're doing art to impress your friends and would actually rather be a, anything else, probably just do that and right. do art on the side. There's like, by all means. But yeah, I I feel as though I'd I'd be very unhappy doing yeah. anything
0: else. Yeah, no, no, I, I encounter that a lot in these conversations that is, is like, basically, I just don't, to see myself doing anything else, which is, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing, but also the fact that you enjoy doing it, you know, that's that's a very
1: important thing as well. But I mean, if I enjoyed being an accountant. Exactly.
0: <laughs> well, that's, well, I mean, I guess some people do. I don't know. Or, yeah, I mean, it, the truth is also, though, I, I don't think that a lot of people really pursue what makes them really, really happy. I don't mm-hmm. know. That's a wider, crazy philosophical topic, but I really think that that's true. You know, not too many people either have a chance or the guts
1: to or, well, do that. Well, it takes a lot of knowledge of self to mm-hmm. know what you really, yeah. who you really are, let alone what you really want. Right. And you're expected to have that answer when you're, what, 17? 17? Yeah, it's crazy. That's unfair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I believe that. The career paths imposed on us are obscene. There should be way more fluctuation and flexibility yeah. there, which... You know, so some people go into art school, and that's where they make their connections because connections are important, and they—that's where opportunities arise for them, and it's their best shot ultimately. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. it's um, yeah, it's uh, it's tricky. I think so. I mean, honestly,
0: just now that I'm you know thirty-one, I feel like I'm at the best moment to learn things, and it's crazy to think <laughs> that I had to choose when I was fifteen. Or 16, what I was going to get into, you know, it's just insane. But I guess, I don't know, there's no other better model, I guess. But I don't know, I feel like it's another experiment. It's another try and error, right, type of thing that go do this or that and then see if you like it or not. And that's why I have this project, because I really enjoy talking to people that are that passionate, that they know that it's a hard thing to do because, you know, the opportunities are limited and, and the resources are limited. And still do it. Of course, there's a lot more things to be said about that, right? There's always the privilege and, and all those conversations, of course, adjacent to this. Of course. But the fact that you know that that's a tough career to undertake because of this, I think it's really admirable. At least for me, it's like, it's very, it's, there's a lot to, to learn from that. Again, I, I'm always fascinated by people, you know, that take on different projects and like you're one of them. It's just crazy to see all the things that you have done. (laughs) Um, And before ending, I want to ask you and I forgot, what is your opinion on the mural festivals and all that stuff in the city?
1: Right. Um, In my mind, um, graffiti is sort of anarchistic as a foundation. It's very much about, you know, not giving a hoot about the rules and doing your own thing. And then muralism is more social. It's more about, you know, community and bringing people in and, you know, creating a sense of um, producing beauty for the environment. Yeah. And graffiti festivals and mural festivals are interesting to look at because, I mean, how do you make... A... Graffiti festivals are sort of um, antithetical because how are you yeah. going to it's not really graffiti if it's authorized. Of course. I mean, like I say this, but in I'll the, look at the, a graffiti piece yeah. and call it graffiti. But ultimately it's it's a contradiction yeah. because it's done legally, you right. have your permission, you're, um, it's not real graffiti. Yeah. And then sometimes let's say you'll have a graffiti festival and then someone tags the sidewalk and then the police shows up and it's like, well, the police is like hanging out with them while they're doing their illegal graffiti and then <laughs> Intervenes and it's, it's, um, so they're a funny thing and they, they need money to survive and so they bring in grants or um, sponsors or what have you. And then how that money is spent and divided is, you know, cause for conversation. And also, is it, you know, contradictory to the culture itself, depending on who you ask. And then mural festivals are interesting because. The rise of muralism in general, there's a lot more tolerance and demand for murals in the city. Yeah, You know, before I would tell people I painted murals, like, oh, I hate graffiti. <laughs> and now I tell them I do graffiti, like, oh, I love murals. <laughs> so the there's a huge shift. I mean, the STM currently has a can of spray paint in their advertising for "Vivons Ensemble. Um, it's as though spray paint is now a welcome part of the environment, yeah, yeah. so long as it's legal, because it now has that um, meaning to people, which yeah. is curious. And to get back to mural festivals, um, I feel as though th- there used to be it used to be more chaotic in the way that murals get painted. It would just be you know people going up to the owners saying, "Hey, can I paint your wall?" Yeah. The owner says, "Sure." what do you want? They're like, oh, like, give us a case of beer and like a hundred bucks each. And like, that would be like super awesome. And uh, sometimes there would be some municipal funding, this or that, but it was pretty loose because Mm. they would see it as a way to prevent graffiti. And that was essentially it. They would prefer to have anything painted than Uh that damn graffiti. Uh And and that prevented graffiti artists to. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. it prevented them from painting those specific walls. Okay. Okay. But at times, it would give them paint to then paint because the wall of next like to it.
0: Respect or something? I mean, no, no. If you see a mural, if you're a
1: graffiti artist, like you, you wouldn't go and. Um, the way I see it is that graffiti writers will tag things in a sense of feeling as though they're improving that surface. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's very subjective. Hmm. And a lot of murals, they feel as though it's too capitalistic or too poorly yeah. painted or um, not real cult, not a real part of their culture. Or what they feel as um, useful or right. something that they side with, or and real. so they'll paint yeah. over it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I feel as though it's an amalgamation of people's subjective view of yeah. what is good or bad. Yeah, and. If, so a lot of murals will get respected, and several will not, and that also changes over time. Yeah. But currently, the acceptance of murals means that there's a lot of people who want murals, and I feel a lot of it, too, is this sort of shift to try— every city wants to be a creative city. Right. Have you heard of um, uh, Richard Florida and the creative class? No. So he's a—I think— he, he's an urbanist uh-huh. um, but he he came up with this notion that the future economy will be led by the creative class who are all the creatives okay um, because a lot of stuff will get automatized and they have different needs and desires than traditional urbanism sure. required so it's no longer let's say about stadiums or sports or suburbs it's now about having lively cities that are inviting and yeah. fun to live in yeah and so there's a a heavy capitalistic aspect to muralism now in Mm -hmm. trying to Mm -hmm. attract these international creative classes. Mm -hmm. So having murals now fit into that, it's no longer about the local community, it's no longer someone from around the street who wanted to paint the corner shop. It's now sometimes these international talents being poached to paint um, murals to attract international
0: It's it's another landmark thing in the city to go check out the walls.
1: And it's it's oftentimes just a new way of making the city look like every other city because it's a lot of the same artists painting in every single city. Right, right. So the murals in Montreal are feeling less and less like an expression of our personal, I don't want to say energy, but ethos, I guess, or collective conscience, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. It no longer feels like mm. a representation of Montreal itself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and is more a repetition of what's happening everywhere else. Yeah. And I feel that's unfortunate because in my mind, so many cities in a creative sense want to be like Montreal and yeah. are trying to emulate us. When I go elsewhere in Canada, they're like, why are you here? Right. Montreal such a great creative place. Yeah. And so trying to emulate the creative, the, the rush for the creative class yeah. is almost shooting ourselves in the foot, and then taking a step backwards on that shot in foot, because we already are that.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, and I go back to, I guess, what I'm a little bit more familiar with, which is art shows in galleries and all that. Mm -hmm. You know, when people import an artist from a different city, it's usually to see what's up with that city. So usually see, like, what's the conversation there? Yeah. So bring somebody from, say, Toronto or New York or something. And and that shifts a little bit the conversation here, right? But if what you what you're saying it it's, it, it makes total sense because then they, it's gonna just homogenize the whole, you know, culture of murals everywhere because probably Berlin has one of these, I and mean, probably you know somewhere else.
1: Has. There there's the same thing in the fine arts world, though. Yeah. I mean the Museum of Fine Arts with its fucking Dale Chihuly in front of it. <laughs> I mean every like. Yeah, there's Dale Chihuly's everywhere. Yeah, he's, yeah, 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 He's all over the place, right? And right. it just makes us look like every other city that has yeah. a Dale Chihuly. Yeah. Um, but I think that's
0: a little bit more
1: removed from the uh, kind of like thriving
0: scene you know like the institutionalized Oh, but there's of some ex- i mean there's sure. some
1: exciting murals happening here as well there's yeah. some really exciting right. things but when people right. think of what's happening in murals yeah. they're thinking of the festivals yeah. they're thinking of you know the the easily accessible yeah art of that, i mean the easily accessible pieces ah. of that art form uh-huh. just as the museum is right. the most accessible expression of course. of course and it's as though you know if the museum instead of spending hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars on these international artists, spent that money supporting the career of artists right. for them to then in 10 or 20 years have an amazing art show, Yeah, it it would seem way more progressive, but it's yeah. just, there's no knowing who's going to be a great artist and who isn't. There's a risk there that they're not going to take, but the, that conservativism, yeah. curatorially speaking, is killing us.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, there's no risk we were talking about that before turning on the mics about the fear of failure Mm -hmm. or the fear of doing something that can be deemed as not great or like not worthy or something. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of that, especially in institutions where, you know, probably the pressure is larger because maybe uh, the audience is very wide Mm -hmm. and they probably have some quotas on on things and all. And so it's, it's probably hard. At the same time, though, it's an easy way out. You know, it's an easy way out of saying, oh, we have to go with the short shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's a little bit unfortunate, but it's true. I mean, I, I didn't realize that probably what I'm talking about is a parallel between what a museum is and the mural festival, which is, you know, up there in the institutionalized kind of like aspect of it.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, they, they do support some really, you know, more exciting artists and yeah. local talent, but I feel as though there's, as the festival has aged, um, there's there's more demands, there's more expected results, and they're they're no longer in the same position to take those risks. Mm-hmm. There's and it's it's unfortunate and it's outside of their control.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Do so you have any projects happening now? What's going on?
1: Right now, I'm working on a big series of woodcut prints. Uh So I've got four two foot by two foot three layer woodcut prints that I'm working on and they've been taking forever. And then I've been on a roll with my graffiti piece. I've just, I've been very happy with them. I've come up with some ideas that I'm pleased with and looking forward to painting some more of those. I've got a series of foldable, multiple layer prints that I'm hoping to make soon which depending on the angle you look at the print reveals different colors so you can look at it from one side and it'll be yellow look at it from the other it'll be green and as well as the colors change the imagery changes and I've been playing around with that and I'm I'm very excited to uh, make pieces for that I'm hoping to have an art show in the fall, but I have no space, no work, and no concise plan. Okay. So we'll see. Yeah. And um, yeah, just yeah, looking forward to making more work. For sure. Cool. So
0: um, I'm just going to say thanks again for passing by and having this chat with me. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to those who are still listening.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, the audience here is like, I, I don't even know. You know I, <laughs> I, I, I tend to not even look at those numbers because it gets me all weird. That's know? good. That's helpful. Yeah, I mean, it's just, this is just an exercise, I feel, for the guest. And also for me, especially, I feel like for me to learn more about the community and the, uh, and the scene, and it's a total curiosity so if there's somebody else listening great you know it's amazing um, but I, I I try to make it so that it's enjoyable for us you know and so, I mean it was right, yeah cool it was fun uh, no but thanks so much for talking and I'll see you soon yeah yeah we'll hang out oh for sure <laughs> we'll go paint yeah <laughs> <That> sounds great <laughs> thanks man. have a good one okay that was episode 22 Thanks for staying till the end, and I hope you have enjoyed it. This episode was mixed, mastered, and arranged by Arcadio Lance. All the visual design of this podcast is done by the always sleek Victor Garibay, and hosted and produced by me, Mark Stris wilson Special thanks to Bosni for his time and all good vibes. Finally, thank you guys for listening till the end, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers.